tonight's message is God's mercy demonstrated in the law. God's mercy demonstrated in the law. Sometimes we don't think of those two words together, mercy and law. Uh, but Jesus, or excuse me, the Proverbs says, or excuse me, Psalm says, Psalm 85 says, Mercy and truth have met together, and uh, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Um, the law and mercy uh, go hand in hand. God says that uh, I would that you'd have, uh, that you'd uh, know the finer points of the law. He told the, he told the Pharisees that you'd practice those. I'm glad you, I'm glad you tithe of mint and annan and cumin and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I, I'd rather you knew more about justice and mercy and faith. Excuse me. The law teaches all of these things. The law teaches us about justice, teaches us about mercy, teaches us about faith. And um, we're going to learn tonight that God's mercy is demonstrated in the law. In the law. Um, Deuteronomy 19, verses 20 through 21. God is not, a, is not cutthroat about His law. Aren't you glad about that? He's not necessarily, we all times say, well, the law is kind of black and white. Well, not necessarily when you, when you really get into it, when you begin to read it out. If it was black and white, there'd be no room for repentance, right? There'd be no room for grace. Uh, it is black and white in the sense that it's clear cut what it means and what it says, uh, no doubt about that. But at the same time, we understand that God offers abundant of, abundance of grace and an abundance of mercy uh, through things. He is a merciful God. Um, the law that we have is God's law. It's not the law of Hammurabi, right? Or the law of Muhammad. Uh, it's not the law of the Koran. Uh, this is the law of our merciful God. And in tonight's three-chapter section that we're dealing with, that's what we've been dealing with is these three chapters at a time. And we've been taking three chapters at a time trying to uh, go through the personal letter of Moses to the children of Israel. The personal letter of Moses to the children of Israel. This is really Moses' letter. The other four uh, books that he wrote were more, uh, they were coming from the perspective of God. God was telling the children of Israel these things. Now, no doubt this is God's word too. This is the inspiration, holy writ of the word of God. But at the same time, we understand that this is a letter from Moses that God inspired uh, him to write. And in these chapters here, I am calling attention to God's mercy. Now, understand sometimes I'm going to designate some of these chapters or some of these sections and I'll give headings to them. My headings and my particular descriptions are not inspired. Bless God. Amen. <laughs> okay. So I'm just trying to draw out a point out of these things. I'm, we're trying to see maybe an overall emphasis in which we're trying to go at tonight. The scriptures are so broad, they're so amazing, they're so deep and vast that a preacher could come up right after me and preach the same three chapters, but from another perspective, right? And see different things and different points. But we're just trying to summarize and we're trying to get a good idea what God is teaching us out of the book of Deuteronomy and also some practical application along the way. 
So God's mercy is being seen in these three chapters. Uh, it's seen, I'll just go ahead and give you the outline. It's seen, number one, in the mercy in the land. Mercy in the land. Uh, number two, there's mercy in war. And number three, there's mercy with people. So mercy in the land, mercy, uh, mercy with people, and mercy in war. And God is going to show us all of these things. Uh, God's mercy is found in this particular law and in this section. And there seems to be, uh, to me at least, lends to us a focusing in on God's way of redeeming and reconciling even the guilty sometimes. Or how God provides relief to those who usually under other nations' laws had no relief. Uh, God is providing relief to those that usually had no relief. Uh, God is also showing to us in this particular passage here tonight that uh, even in death that God is a merciful God. Uh, God did not invent, I'll say it like this, God did not invent the crucifixion. Okay? God is not into, uh, like other nations, inventing cruel and unusual and torturous experiences. You won't find that in God's law. You'll find a man that if he's going to be killed, then he needs to be slain with the sword. That's a, that's a sharp, quick death. You know? Or hang him by the neck. I know that's not quick. I know that's painful. But it's over in just a matter of minute, a matter of, I don't even know how long, seconds. You don't have to go very long. You're going to pass out before it really is going to feel the pain. Uh, or another way in which somebody might die is by stoning. Now, that sounds painful, no doubt about it. But you get hit in the head one good time with a big old rock, you know, you're, gun, you're, you're knocked out. You're, you're done for some even thought that stoning might include that being put in a large hole and stones being thrown, large, heavy stones being thrown on top of your head until, uh, and uh, being buried that way. I don't know how it was. Uh, it doesn't seem to me that that was the way in some of these cases. But nonetheless, God even has rules for war uh, long before there was the United Nations, right? Uh, God had rules for war. But all of the great laws of our land and of all lands, all the great laws, the good laws, the laws that have been around for centuries, all originate from God's law. That's what's been amazing to me. And more I read into these things, how God is really the inspirer. He is the, he is the originator of the good laws of the land and how they can even, they even still uh, go on to this day. Uh, and also in some of these things tonight, we'll see some, definitely some New Testament spiritual application. So number one, we see in chapter number 19, we see mercy in the land. Mercy in the land. Um, God outlines this in three different ways. He outlines it through the cities of refuge, the property boundaries, and witnesses during trials. Witnesses during trials. Isn't it interesting that God, uh, God is, uh, I'm not saying I'm not read up on if other nations had witnesses in their trials. I'm not saying that they didn't. But I do think it's interesting that God places that in His law. That there's got to be witnesses. That's still something we practice today. We've got to have witnesses. We want witnesses to come in whenever something is been uh, some wrongdoing has happened. 
So mercy in the land, uh, chapter number 19. God designed his law around the fact that bad things would happen, okay? That's how he designed his law. He designed his law that bad things would happen. He planned that out ahead of time. He knew there would be evil in the world, occurring in the world, so he planned for it and got his children ready for it. You know, that lets me know that God, that God is orchestrating and working within the uh, evil that is around us. God is, God is working. He didn't just eliminate it, right? He gave a law in order that he might work within his plan, work within what happened at the fall. God is uh, doing things in this way, in this particular way. God did not leave us to our own devices. Amen. I mean, he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you a plan. I'm going to give you a law. I'm going to help you guys out. Why? Because why did, why, why did God do this? Why did God give us a law? Because he's a merciful God. Law, when you think about it, really is a merciful thing. Man, if you don't have law and order, you definitely don't have any mercy. You definitely don't have any mercy. So law is a merciful thing. Law, God giving them the law was merciful to them so that they might know and understand how to live and how to act, how to have wisdom, to how to handle certain situations that are being brought up. We do this all the time. We're thankful for law sometimes, sometimes. Uh, sometimes we're thankful for law because sometimes we don't know how to handle a certain situation. So we approach an attorney, a lawyer, and we say, how do we handle this? How do we deal with this? And there's a law about it, and this is where you do it, and this is how it works. And, and that's, that we're thankful for that because that shows mercy. Man, I was reading, um, I was reading that, uh, that, that, that uh, biography, To the Golden Shore, by Adiram, uh, about Adiram Judson, about, by Courtney Love, by Courtney Love, that was a rock star, by uh, Courtney <laughs> um, Anderson, and, uh, and uh, that shows my age too, and everything, but um, Courtney Anderson, and, uh, and he, and that, this kind of shows you how long, Courtney was a man's name, even, in 1950s, and uh, he, uh, Courtney was writing about how he was in Burma, and how, man, how they had, they had laws there, well, that's what I was trying to get to, they had, they had laws, but how those laws could just be changed. You know, there was, there was no rhyme nor reason sometimes. Uh, the king might change the law or the governor might change the law or if you paid somebody a little bit more, you might change the law. Everything was, was on a gift type basis there. So uh, there really wasn't a hard fest law there in the country of Burma. There was, so it was always difficult to deal with certain things. If you've never read To the Golden Shore, I'd recommend it. It's a, it is a, a page turner and a, and a, and a gut-wrenching one too. It's a, it's a tough book to read and I'll leave you in tears, uh, but a good one, To the Golden Shore. It's a 500-pager too, so just get prepared for the long haul on that one, so uh, in small print. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, but anyhow, um, law is a merciful thing. It's a merciful thing. Uh, the first thing is this, a city is a refuge. Notice, if you will, in this first section right here, that God gives the plan uh, for the cities of refuge. Um, 
in verse number 1 of chapter 19, When the Lord thy God hath cut off thy nations, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, and thou succeedest over them, and dwellest in their cities and their houses, thou shalt separate thee three cities for thee in the midst of thy, ground, uh, midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. And thou shalt prepare thee away, and divide the coast, and the Lord thy God giveth thee in the inherent land, into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer, all right? The slayer, the person that kills somebody. Uh, we would call this in our day today manslaughter, okay? We'd call this manslaughter, all right? If you kill somebody by accident, all right? And this is the case of the slayer, which shall flee thither, that he may live. Whosoever kills his neighbor uh, ignorantly, whom he hated not, in the time past, as when a man that goeth into a wood with his neighbor to hew wood in his hand, fetches a stroke on the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slippeth off of the heave, that the helve, that is the handle, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, and he flee into one of these cities and live. So you got the idea? All right? So you, you, you kill somebody by accident. All right? And uh, there's a city that was set up. It's called Cities of Refuge. Uh, lest, verse 6, the avenger of blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in times past. Wherefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee. All right. So God established in the early on and the only onset of the children of Israel when they were going into the land that uh, on the west side of Jordan, they would have three cities and three different parts of the land. Okay. And uh, they were to establish those cities, and their cities were to be kind of equal distance apart so that if you killed somebody by accident, you didn't have to go way up to the north, you know, to, to get away from the slayer. You could actually uh, find somebody somewhere that was closer uh, in order to get into one of those cities so that you could get your trial and so they could figure out whether or not you killed this person on purpose or was it an accident. The point is, is that these places were not very far away. And that this person that killed somebody was unintentional. In fact, God had a man in each family called the Avenger of Blood. You just read about him. But do you know what? This man was also what we would known as the Kinsman Redeemer. He was the man like uh, he was like the Boaz and Ruth that uh, redeemed the land of of uh, Elimelech and uh, Moab and Melion and Chilion and uh, also redeemed Ruth and took her as his his wife and he was the kinsman redeemer. He would also have been the part of the Avenger of Blood. Uh, he would have done that uh, role too. Um, so he was both things, but God made a way. And that is where we see the mercy, amen? God made a way. Isn't that a blessing? He didn't just say, well, go fend for yourself. No, God's mercy allowed for the man that committed manslaughter to flee into the city of refuge. God told them that these cities were set in general areas so that they were equal distance apart. That was God's mercy, right? That's God's mercy. Uh, actually, as you go on and read verses 7, 8, and 9, that he says that when you get into the land and you establish yourself, you should make three more cities. So you don't have to come all the way over here. Now you've got area over here you can go to also. That's God's mercy right there. Uh, and then he tells them that you need to have a trial. See what happens. Uh, see what happened. Um, he tells them. He says in verse number 8, um, or excuse me, verse number um, 
10, that the innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, so blood be upon thee. He tells them, hey, make sure you have a trial. Make sure it's okay. Make sure this man is going to stay in the city and he's going to get a fair trial. And so that the uh, avenger of blood doesn't kill somebody that wasn't a murderer. Okay? We don't want innocent blood being shed in the land. That's God's mercy. But don't think, uh, this is not in the passage that's before us, so I have to teach it, teach it in, from another place. But don't think that the man that committed manslaughter got off, got off scotch-free, okay? All right, you remember what he had to do? The man that committed manslaughter had to stay and live. His new dwelling place was the city of refuge. That's where he had to live at until the high priest died. When the high priest died, he could go back to his city. You say, what if the, he died before the high priest died? Well, too bad. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. There are consequences when we even do accidents. Right? There's consequences. And I try to teach my kids that sometimes. You know, sometimes my kids, well, he didn't do it on purpose. You know? Well, I certainly hope you didn't do it on purpose, you know what I mean? Because there's going to be even a worse punishment if you did it on purpose. But, but you know, there are, there's still consequences for doing things, for having an accident. There's a consequence. You know, if I, if I, if I run in, if I rear in somebody, uh, I'm going to have a consequence uh, for that. Well, I didn't mean to. I was, that's what I'll tell the officer. I didn't mean to. You know, what's he going to say? He's like, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I don't care. Uh, yeah, do you have insurance? You know, that's that's what they'll say in Austin. Uh, that's all they care about. Um, but we see the New Testament principle behind that is that Jesus is our city of refuge. Amen. Jesus is the one we run into. Jesus is our protector. Jesus is where we hide at. Jesus is where we find our refuge at. We find it in Him is that we were once worthy of death. We had sinned. We have done wrong. But now Christ is our city of refuge. He's the place where we abide at. He's the place we live at. A trial has been set, and I've been declared innocent through the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm clean. And, uh, but you know what? i got to stay in the city of refuge. Amen? That's where i got to stay. That's where I'm at. I'm safe there. Uh, I'm safe there. Uh, and then notice, if you will, one verse that comes along with this. There's mercy in the land. You see the cities of refuge. You see another thing that deals with the land. And uh, uh, I skipped over a few pages there by accident. Verse number 14. Um, oh, I missed one more point here. He says then too at verse number 12, Then the elders of his city... Um, shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him. Or he says, he tells him in verse, number, in verse number 11, he says that if they find out after the trial that this man actually did hate him and he rose and he killed him and he smote him that he mortally died and fleeth into one of these cities and then the elders of the city shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him in the hand of the avenger of the blood and that he may die. Thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of the innocent from Israel that it may go well with thee. Understand that there's mercy there too. You say, I don't, I don't see that. And actually, the Bible says actually to have no mercy on the man that kills somebody uh, on purpose. Uh, first degree, have no mercy on them. Have no pity on them. Where's the mercy at? The mercy is to the family 
that he, that he, that he put, that he gave, that he offended. That's where the mercy is to. You see, the mercy in law is not so much releasing those that are guilty, right? It's also punishing those that are guilty and restoring and bringing some kind of justice to those that have been hurt. There's mercy in that. God cares for those that have been hurt. But when we live in a society like we live in today that does want to release the criminal and have no repercussions on the criminal, then what is that saying to those that they have offended? That's, 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 that's hurting them. That's not merciful to them. So uh, understand that God... Uh, mercy goes both ways. Uh, there's property boundaries. Verse number 14, Thou shalt remove thy, not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which of old time have been set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. God was merciful with the people and their property. Property was a big deal because property was a sign of the covenant to his people. In fact, there are many laws about it. But even in our day today, there have been cases out there where people have actually tried to move fence lines. Uh, I've known about these cases, people moving fence lines and uh, trying to uh, widen their property by uh, by moving their neighbors, um, by moving their neighbors uh, fence lines here and there. Uh, That's just stealing. Right. Um, I remember when we built a fence, when we lived in town, uh, we uh, we built our fence and we uh, we saw where the old fence was. And we actually said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come a foot off of that old fence just to be safe. It looks about right. We can see the property line, but we're going to just come a little bit off of that just because we, we, we don't want that, uh, excuse me, we don't, I don't, we don't want that animosity between our neighbors, you know? We don't want to be accused. Well, he put his fence more on our side. You know, hey, I'll take a little bit off my side. You know, that's New Testament living right there. We just say, I'll take a little bit off my side so that you can have more. Uh, just so that I don't offend you, so I can still be a good witness to you. Uh, God says it's wicked whenever uh, people move uh, property boundaries. But this is a command of mercy because those that were strong could be tempted to move the property boundaries of those that were weak. Proverbs chapter number 23 and verse number 10 says, Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. So, and Hosea, he talks about this and says that this is what they actually had done. Uh, So God was merciful to the weak and to the fatherless, to the widows. God is a merciful God. God is looking out for those that are weak. That's why he establishes this law here. Uh, The Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead with thee. But this is also a New Testament spiritual uh, application uh, because Proverbs twenty two twenty eight tells us, I think, something great here that helps us to understand something maybe spiritually speaking. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. You know, there's not only landmarks of property, there's landmarks of spirituality, amen, that, we, that have been set up, like our Bibles, amen. This is a landmark right here. This is a lamp. We, we ought not to go around trying to change this thing and make it, you know, good news for modern man and all these kinds of things and making it to something that it's not. 
Now, there's, there's, there's spiritual landmarks that have been set forth in, in our lives. And uh, don't be changing. Uh, we've, we've got the landmark of our church and say, man, we, we, don't, we, don't need to, uh, we don't need to make our church look like the world. Or I'm not saying we don't improve things or do things differently sometimes. I'm not saying we, get, we never should get with the old attitude. Well, that's just the way we've always done it. You know, never have that attitude. But at the same time, we shouldn't say, well, you know, that's just old fuddy-duddy, you know. Yeah, but is it scriptural? That's what you need to ask yourself. Yeah, is it Bible, though? Is it Bible? You know, don't need to be changing the ancient landmarks about who God is. Man, there's a lot of people out there changing about who God is. But about the ancient landmark of the gospel, right? And not, not changing or, or varying up the gospel, and there's been people all over the place. They're always changing the gospel. Don't be doing that. And then the final thing is about mercy in the land is not only property boundaries, not only cities of refuge, but notice, if you will, the last section deals with witnesses in the land. Witnesses in the land. You find here that God is merciful in these particular uh, witnessing and during these trials. Number one is this, is that God required that whenever somebody was accused that there should be how many witnesses? Two or three, all right? Two or three witnesses, all right? They didn't have DNA evidence back then, okay, all right? Two or three witnesses. A man could not die by the witness of just one man. All right? There, that's God's mercy. You can't just take the testimony of one person. But there's also mercy, and I love this. This is this, man, if we don't apply this law, this law is not in the books anymore. But the law of God was that if a false witness, verse 16, rise up against a man to testify against him uh, that which is wrong, then both men will go in between the controversy and the judges will make a decision. And if it finds out that the man that witnesses against the man witnesses falsely, he should receive, he would receive the same penalty that that man would have received if found out that the false witness was correct. Man, we don't do that anymore, do we? I mean, somebody can just accuse somebody of something, and if it's false, they say, oh, well, that was just false. You know, that's sad. Why did, why did, why did God say that? It says in verse number 20, he says, And those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more such evil among you. And that, 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 that scares some people straight. They'd stop doing some false witnessing if they knew that they were going to experience the same punishment that they were trying to get that other person to experience. That's the mercy of God too, though. That's mercy on the person that was falsely accused. That's justice for him and mercy for the man or the woman that was defamed. Chapter 20. Mercy and war. Mercy and war. Verses 1 through 4 tells us that when thou goest to the battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people, then thou, and be not more than thou, and be not, be not afraid. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. God is in his mercy will fight for them in the war. 
God says, hey, when you go to war, I'm going to fight for you. It shall be when you are come nigh into the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say, hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto the battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither do you be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Aren't you thankful that God is merciful to fight our battles for us? I mean, that's what he's talking about right here. He's fighting their battles. He's merciful to them in war. And then verses 5 through 8, God is actually merciful and commands that certain people not fight in war. Isn't that interesting? I mean, God says, hey, I want you to go to war, but there's some classifications of some people that don't have to go to war. If you just bought a house or a vineyard, right, you didn't have to go to war. Why? Because you haven't got to enjoy your house yet. And you haven't got to eat of the fruit of your vineyard yet. How much, merciful, how much more merciful is that, right? I mean, can you imagine, so they, do they say that in, in war today? They don't do that today. God says, hey, hey, you haven't even got to eat of the fresh ripe grapes of your, of your vineyard yet. Let that man go on down to his vineyard and harvest that first and then let him come on down. And then he says, if it's a newly married man, hey, that man's just been married. Don't bring him on out to war. He hasn't even got to be with his wife yet. They haven't even got to enjoy a, a year of marriage together. Let them do that first. And then he was even merciful to the fearful and to the faint-hearted, right? He said, man, if somebody's fearful and faint-hearted, he said, don't let them go to battle. Mercy for the man that was fearful and faint-hearted, but also merciful to the rest of the soldiers, Right? Because it says that if he is, what man is there among you fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go home to return to his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart, right? That was verse number 8. So that was mercy of God, not only to the fearful and faint-hearted, but also to the rest of the troops. So they didn't get fearful and faint-hearted because of this one guy. God's mercy is just all over the place. God's mercy on the enemy cities. Verses 9 through 11. He tells them here in these verses that God wants them, first of all, in verse number 10, uh, when thou comest to a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. Isn't that interesting? God says, don't you annihilate that city. The first thing that you do when you go to a city to attack it is that you ask for peace. You say, will there be peace here? If there is, you can come out peacefully. We won't kill any of you. We won't, we'll, just, we'll put you under tribute. That means we're going to tax you, all right? We're not going to, we're not going to kill you. We're, not going, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to take care of you, all right? But he says, if there will not make peace unto thee, then we'll make war against thee. Uh, then what you're supposed to do is that you're supposed to, number one, kill all the males immediately, that doesn't sound very merciful, I know. All right? But they did not torture them. They said, just slay them. Kill them. Man, how many of you have read the stories of Rome and other places? Man, they just, they torture folks. Torture them. Yeah, no torturing. Just off with their heads, you know, done. Understand this too, that when you're reading in Deuteronomy, these are normal day practices, okay, in the land. 
in the in the air in the in the ancient times that they lived in. Okay. Nobody would have. Nobody. There would have been. Uh, there wouldn't have been any. Uh, there wouldn't have been any shock right wave sent through the community when somebody read these things. The shock wave would have been. Well, that's all. You know. <laughs> that would have been the shock wave. But then he says, "Save the women and children." Save the women and children. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all those in the city and even all the spoil there, there, verse number 14, uh, thou shalt take unto thyself and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Now, understand you've got God's mercy on those that are in war, those that are in the enemy cities, those that have been chosen to go to war, but then you see a switch. There's a mercy on the children of Israel here. And by that, what I mean by that is this, is that verses number 16 through 18 tells us that you're never to make peace, he says, with the cities that are close by, with the people that are close by you. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Havites, and the Jebusites. He says you're never to make peace with any of them. In fact, you're not only to kill the males, you're to kill the women and the children. Now, these verses do not display, obviously, the mercy of God upon the Amorites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, unless you know your Old Testament history. If, you knew your, if we know our Old Testament history... We knew that God had actually given these people over 400 years of mercy and had sent unto them. They knew about the one true God. Okay? They had, they, I used to say, how did they know about the one true God? What happened when they went to Jericho? What happened when they met Balaam? What happened when they had Jacob and Isaac and Esau, Jacob and Isaac and Abraham in the land? They knew about the one true God, but yet they denied Him. They denied Him, and they went after their own gods. So God was merciful to these nations for over four hundred years, but they would not repent. But He's also mainly merciful to the children of Israel. Because he's telling them that if you don't kill all of these people, you're going to start acting just like them. Okay? What if I told you when I, what if you moved into my neighborhood and I said, you know, uh, great neighborhood, but we've got one real bad problem. He said, what's that? We've got rabid monkeys. Don't pet them. Don't let them in your house. If they bite you, you'll, you'll die. All right, you will, you'll just, you'll, you'll, you'll just kill over, your kids will die. You're like, you know what, they're monkeys, they're kind of cute, you know, you know. And so you're just, and I said, no, no, you got to kill everyone that you see. You cannot, they're deadly, they, they will not, they just, just get rid of them, okay. But you're a real, you know, humanitarian, you know. And I go and knock on your house and You've got three or four monkeys in there, and your whole family's dead. And you're sitting there in the chair, about to die yourself. Now, what was merciful? You, killing, you me telling you to kill the monkeys, or you letting the monkeys kill you? 
You see what I'm saying? All right, people aren't monkeys, okay? I'm just trying to give you an illustration of what's happening there. Is that these people, they were going to infect them with the sin and with disease, with the disease of sin. And if they didn't eliminate them, eradicate them, well, we see what happens, right? They didn't do it. And because of that, you say, that sounds really harsh. Yeah, it is really harsh. But you know what? So is disease, right? And so are earthquakes. And so are floods. Sometimes God will choose different ways and different methods in order to, to, to afflict people. Because sin is just nasty. And sin is dirty. And sin is horrible. And that's why He sent God. His only, that's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to save people from their sins. And then there's mercy on the land. I like this. It's kind of a neat little verse, kind of a good little wrap-up at the end. Verse number 19, When thou shalt besiege a city a long time, in making war against it, to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them, that thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of a life is a man's life, to employ them in the siege. Mercy on the land. Neat little thing here, God commands them, don't cut down all the trees after you have besieged a city for a long time. That's merciful in two ways. Number one, merciful to the land. Don't make the land barren, right? Don't take all the trees down. You know, God was the first environmentalist, wasn't he? He really was. He was also the first uh, horticulturalist. <laughs> he understood. Don't, don't be taking all those trees down. Now, he says, trees that are not good for meat, he said, go ahead and get rid of those things. You know, get rid of them hotberries and china berries, right? You know, just cut them things down. Get rid of that stuff, okay? Palm trees. <laughs> uh, but more than being merciful on the land, he was actually merciful to the children of Israel. Because when they finally won the battle, they would need the trees of meat. Now, this is where God differs from man-centered religion, okay? This is where God's environmentalist uh, mentality differs from the Mother Earth people mentality, all right? You know who invented Mother Earth? That, that's paganism. That's, that's Wiccans, all right? Uh, not wicked, Wiccan, all right? Uh, paganism is all about Mother Earth and uh, all that kind of stuff, okay? That comes from paganism. But God's plan, listen, paganism, uh, Wiccanism, centers around that is, that is that God's plan, or God's, when I say God's, I mean small g-o-d-s with, a, with, an, with an apostrophe. Uh, the God's plans are that the that man, that's that that earth that, excuse me that man centers around the earth all right okay we, it's mother earth we're centering around the earth the earth is 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 what's important right it's what's what we're holding up okay but did you notice what god's plan is he says for the tree of the field is man's life man's life God's plan centers around man. 
man. It's about us. We are his unique design. We are the apple of his eye, okay? All that he has created in this world is for our pleasure and for our good. So don't take down every single oak tree, okay? Don't take down every single apple tree. You're going to need it later on, all right? That's God's mercy. And then finally, chapter number 21, and these just naturally, for some reason, just flowed a little bit quicker with each one of them. The first one was longer. But chapter 21 was, is God's mercy with people. And it's the last chapter that we're on tonight and that God speaks of several different people and how to treat them. Um, verses number 1 through 9 has a very interesting case. They... Um, God shows mercy to towns and to villages and to cities that have an unsolved murder in the city. Uh, They find a man in a field or in the city that's been killed and they can't figure out who did it. Then they, uh, they give this atonement so that God is appeased and his wrath is appeased and he's going to be merciful with them, and he's not going to judge them uh, because this innocent blood was shed and because they can't figure out who did it, all right? God's not going to judge them because they don't know who did it. That's, that's merciful. That's just God showing his mercy again. And then verses 10 through 14 Uh, We read up from what God tells us in an earlier passage in chapter number 20 that if you're to take the women and children with you, he says in verse number, uh, you're to save them alive. In verse number 10, he tells them, when thou goest forth to war against thine enemies and the Lord thy God hath delivered them in thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and thou seest that come the captives, a beautiful woman, and hast desire unto her that thou wouldest have her to, to thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head and cut her nails or pair her nails and she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off of her and shall remain in that house and be well her father and her mother a full month and after thou shalt go in unto her and be her husband and she shall be thy wife and it shall be if they have she have no delight in her then thou shalt let her go whither she will but thou shalt not sell her at all for money thou shalt not make her merchandise of her because thou hast humbled her all right there's God's mercy to women that are captured in war, all right? Now, this is, uh, this is simply unheard of in those times, all right? Okay, to treat women, uh, you say, well, she doesn't have a choice in marrying, okay? Yeah, but if, she was to, if he was to divorce, he can't sell her, he can't treat her wrongly, he can't torture her, he can't abuse her, he is to send her away. Now, the way that I've understood the passage Uh, And the best way that I understand it is this, is that that the putting away of, though, was before the marriage. Some people think that it's after the marriage, but the way that I've read it and the way that I've studied it out is that the idea is that he is allowed to put her away before he marries her. Uh, Because uh, the idea is that she's a beautiful woman, but now she's shaved her head. And she's cut her nails and she's wearing sackcloth and ashes. And if you still love her, then you can marry her. But after a month and you're like, well, you know, she was pretty, you know what I mean? But, you know, I'm not going to marry her now. Uh, Then to to put her away is is from what, if you think it's something different, you can share with me a little bit later. Um, So I believe it's before the marriage. 
Uh, God showing mercy to women that were captured in war. And then look at this. There's also verse number 15 through 17 that tells us there's God's mercy to the firstborn, even to those who has, who's, who, uh, no matter whose wife it came from. So if a man has two wives and he loves one and he hates the other, he's to, uh, but it, the one that he hates, uh, she has his firstborn son, he's to honor the firstborn son. Because that's the law of God. And show mercy right there. Now, hate is a strong word. The idea is that he likes one better than the other. All right? He shows favor towards one than he does the other is the idea there. Um, You see, God even was working within their parameters in some of these cases. Now, obviously, we're not dealing with, you know, in this country, people having two wives. Brother LaBelle has to deal with that sometimes uh, over there in Africa. Uh, So what I'm saying is this, is that God is showing mercy. No matter whose wife it is, you honor the firstborn. That's God's mercy. And then God shows mercy. (laughs) Verse number 18. uh, If a man have a stubborn or rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when he have chastened him will not hearken unto him, then, thou shalt, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This is our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die, so they put away the evil among you, and all the Israel shall hear and fear." You're like, okay, I'm looking for mercy here. Well, you know who the mercy is for, don't you? The mercy is for the parents with the rebellious children. <laughs> how, many, how many parents out there today are literally just terrorized by rebellious kids? I'm not talking about these little kids, you know. I'm talking about 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 24, 25-year-olds, you know. Didn't you, did anybody see that uh, big uh, news article in, in Italy where uh, two uh, leeching sons uh, were leeching off their mom and they thought it was, their, they thought it was a, a, a child's right uh, to live with their parents and mooch off their parents no matter what and they could live there and not pay rent and the mom is elderly and didn't have, was living on a fixed income and uh, they wouldn't ever pay uh, help with the bills or help with the groceries or, or anything like that. And uh, she got them evicted is what she did. And uh, set a kind of a, kind of set a precedent in, in Italy there that, you know, we're not putting up with this, you know. Well, God was already not putting up with it a long time ago, right? God said, you know, we're just, we're just taking care of this. That, that'd probably scare a couple kids straight, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know? You, you, they'd start thinking twice about mooching off mom and dad and being a drunkard and a glutton and just being a rebellious, stubborn person. Yeah, ne'er-do-well. And, uh, but seriously, I mean, how many parents, though, have been hurt by, uh, by, by, uh, by their children, beaten by their children, you know? And, and, and stabbed and, and, uh, and even some, you know, sometimes killed by their own, by their own children. Uh, that's because we live in a land that's, again, it's very lax on its laws. We don't punish the guilty. 
And uh, we just kind of let things slide. And uh, we always want to show mercy to the person that's offending. But we're not showing mercy to the person that's been offended. You know, we are being granted mercy right now by the fact that there are serial killers in jail. <laughs> that's, our mer- that's mercy on us. Because if you didn't have them in jail, they might be killing one of your family members. <laughs> I mean, that's where they belong, all right? In our society, okay, I'm not, we're not, we could get into all that. I'm not going to. But I'm just saying that's, 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 where they, that's, where, that's where our society puts them at. And then finally, verses 22 through 23, God's mercy to the dead. If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou shalt hang him on a, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain on that, that tree upon the, all night upon the tree. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that the land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. God even has mercy on the dead. And he says, don't let them hang all night. And uh, who else was hung on a tree? Lord Jesus Christ. And this same exact verse was used of them right here to show to us that he was cursed of God for our sins and for our sake. But did he stay all night? No. Now, like the law said, they, broke his, they, they went around to break their legs, but they didn't break his legs, did they? No, they didn't have to because he gave up the ghost. He died for us and was cursed for us so that we could have God's mercy. Isn't it interesting that even this little section on mercy ends with the greatest mercy of all, a reminder of Jesus Christ the Lord hanging on a tree for our sins. And He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thank God for His everlasting mercy. Father, we're thankful for the word.